Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. What's up, Movement Church? Good to see you guys. I hope, how many ladies are in the house this morning? Any ladies in the house? Two of you. Okay, good. This is the quiet service today, apparently. Hey, just so you know, the louder you get, the shorter I preach. And so I know there's some football on today, so you're going to want to get loud today. I'm telling you right now. I'm going to tell you right now, I want to make sure, ladies, you come out with us to She Collective this Saturday right here at Laguna Hills High School. If you've not signed up, you got to sign up ASAP. There are tickets, $10 a piece. And listen, I want to challenge you don't come alone bring a friend with you I think every woman that calls this church home and that lives in this community needs to be here at she collective here's what it is it's a service designed just for women we'll have some worship and teaching and always a lot of fun because whenever my wife is involved it's going to be a lot of fun with unicorns and confetti and other things like that so but here's what I'm excited about this is uh, our, our sixth year of being a church, and we've done quite a few she events. She collective, she rises, she hangs out, she has fun, all kinds of stuff. But after like six years, I said, hey, babe, can I come? I, I want to share something this year or this specific event. And so she gave me permission, so that's exciting, uh, even though I'm her boss. But it doesn't matter. That's not important. And uh, I, I've got something specific I want to share. Uh, and, and really, the title is, is, is easy. It's five things I think every woman should know. And for the past four months, I've been praying specifically about this event and believing that God's gonna do something miraculous. So rearrange your schedule if there's something happening on Saturday night and get here because I believe it'll be life-changing for every lady that shows up, not because I'm teaching, but because I think God wants to do something miraculous. Let me just say something real quickly. Listen, we believe in you, ladies. Okay, you just need to know that. I'm about to dive into my sermon for She Collective. I'm pretty excited about it. But, but you need to know that at the Movement Church, you're empowered to be who God's created you to be. So I'm telling you, you don't want to miss this Saturday night to see what God's going to do in your life. Is that cool? And don't come alone. Bring like three lady friends with you. What, what do we say these days? Bring your girl gang. Is that what we, I don't know what we say. Hashtag, stop talking about it, Carrie. Uh, let's move on. Also, at the end of our service today, we're going to be celebrating one of my favorite uh, experiences that we do as a church, and that's baptism. We're going to be celebrating some people who are going public with their faith, ordinary people who have placed their faith in an extraordinary God. And I believe that there's portions of our faith journey that should be private, but at some point we should go public, not saying I've perfect or I've arrived, I've got everything figured out, but just simply saying that I used to live one way. And now I'm pursuing things God's way. And we did it after first service and had a large number of people being baptized. And it's one of the most exciting things that we do. So here's what I want to challenge you. Stick around for about five minutes after service and celebrate with us. Celebrate life change and celebrate people who are going public with their faith. Sound good? It's going to be good. I'm excited about it. The two of you that shook your head, yes, you're excited about it. The rest of you hopefully will wake you up in the next few moments. Uh, maybe you're like me and you're devastated over the Cowboys loss last week. And so, hey, go Rams, which is why, they're, they're, you know, everybody's at the game right now, apparently. So it's going to be exciting. Go Rams. We just want anybody to beat the Patriots. Can I get an amen from, okay, all right, now we're awake. Praise the Lord. We're here. Well, let's dive into week three of first and most. We always start off our year just in the very beginning of the year going, okay, God, what do you want to do? We want to recalibrate. 
want to refocus and, and not just think about great things, but go, okay, God, what are you wanting to do in my life in 2019? And then I want to make sure that my life is geared in that direction. We've been asking questions over the course of this series, and I just want to rephrase them again. I feel like it's important for us to really evaluate these for our, ourselves and, and to see if this is something that maybe you need to make some changes in your personal life. And the question is, is this, can you... Can you live the way you're living right now for decades? Is it a healthy enough lifestyle that you can do this for decades? Here's another way to reframe this question, and that is, are you living the life that you'd wanna give away to someone else? Maybe you're here and you're a parent, and that is an instant connection for you, but regardless of whether or not you have children of your own, is the life that you're living one that you'd say, yeah, this is the way to live. This is the way to pursue what God wants to do in your life and you'd wanna give that away. Here's the reason why. We, we teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. So you're leading right now, regardless of whether you're married or not, children or not, you're leading in this life. And you're reproducing something, but is it a life worth living? And I believe that all of us can get to that level and, and, and season of our life where we can say, man, my life's not perfect, but this is a life worth living. You, you were created to live from fullness, not for fullness. From approval, not for approval. You were created to live from a place of love, not for love. And so many of us, especially in America, so much of what we do is seeking validation and affirmation. And, and you need to know that that's already found and I believe should come first and most from God. Now, regardless of your faith background, regardless of the heritage and, and what you walked in with today, maybe you're here and you're saying, I don't even know what I think about Christianity or about God or this whole church thing. And I would just say, hey, welcome. We've always dreamt of being a part of a church where someone who says I'm a Christ follower and someone who says, I don't know if I believe in Christ can sit down in the seats together and just say, okay, God, what do you potentially wanna do in my life? So if you're here and you're not sure what you believe, permission to belong before you believe. But I want to challenge you to maybe for the next few moments to take this journey with us. In week one of this series, we talked about how it, we have to, if we're going to get first and most love and approval and affirmation from God, then we've got to understand what my identity is in Christ. And we read the scripture, Romans 5, verse 2, where we see that through him, Jesus we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. This is my identity. This is who I am. God's grace is sufficient for me. In week two, my, my wife preached and dropped bombs about the necessity of the word of God in our life. And you know what I love to hear Megan preach about the word? Because she doesn't just have to teach it, she lives it. And she read a scripture in 2 Timothy that says this, every scripture, every verse in the word of God has been inspired by the Holy Spirit, the very breath of God. That word breath translates to ruach in the original Greek. And it means literally the idea, the concept of just putting wind in your sails. I know some of us walked in today and we need a little wind in our sails. That's what the word of God is a reminder for us. It will empower you by its instruction and correction, giving you the strength to take the right direction and lead you deeper into the path of godliness. 
But today I, I want to hit on the not so feel good side of first and most. In fact, here's a spoiler alert. In a few moments, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to what I believe God wants to do in each of our lives. So just prepare yourself. Like, like a doctor opening a wound and cleaning it before he performs a surgery. The not so feel good side of pursuing what God has for our lives. Let me kind of put it to you this way. Some of you in this room, I don't know if you realize this, you may suffer from OHHS, overactive horn honking syndrome. You know who you are. You like to lay on the horn. You know what I'm talking about? We're praying for your soul right now. There's only two reasons you should ever honk your horn. One is to warn people of the potential of danger. If you're on the highway and somebody doesn't see you, you're in their blind spot and they kind of cruise into your lane, do a little tap, tap. Hey, I'm right here. Get back in your lane. Can I get an amen from some people? The second time, and I think this is biblical, it's kind of like the 11th commandment, is when you're at a light. Maybe it's a turning lane or at an intersection and you're a couple cars behind and the light turns green. And you look up at the car in front of you, all the cars in front of them have already gone, but they're doing this little action. You know what that's the international sign of? Illegally looking at your cell phone, which I never do. And uh, don't judge me. And they're not, they haven't gone yet. The light's green, bro. The light is green. And here's the biblical approach. Beep, beep. Yeah. If you, how many of you don't lie right now? You're the, lay on the horn. You're the overactive horn. Oh, right here. We're praying for you. I'm kidding. Here's the way it should go. A little beep, beep. And what are you saying? Hey, the light's green and it's time to go. The light's green. Can I get an amen? And it's time to go. And I think that's what today's going to be like. A little beep, beep. Huh. It's time to make the changes you've been talking about for years. It's time to rearrange, to shift and to change the things that you've been holding on to, the secret life of sin that you've been hoping nobody would find out, the justification of the actions you've been making, the thoughts you've been thinking that you know aren't right. And I wanna talk about this for the next 30 minutes. Would you do me a favor, regardless of your belief, regardless of whether or not you, the movement church is your home, could we together collectively, could we give God permission over the next 30 minutes to, to do what only he can do, to be God, and to reveal, to convict, to restore, and just to give him the permission to rearrange the proverbial furniture of our life? Can we do that? Because man, my hope and my prayer is that beep, beep, you make the changes that you know you need to make so you can be the person that God created you to be. Can we pray? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, we just come before you and we, we thank you for the, the nudges, the gentle nudges, the, the beep, beep in our life that reminds us that you, you've got greater things for us, bigger purpose for us, and, and that who we are now and what we've walked through previously is not uh, the summation of who you have called and created us to be. So God, right here in Laguna Hills High School, I pray that you would lean in so close and reveal your heart to us and your plan for us so that we can see the fullness of who you've created us to be. We don't want to stay the same. 
We don't want to see 2019 end up like 2018 did. We want to put you first and most in our life. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. And that just means I agree. As we're in week three of this series, uh, we, it's important before I even go into it that you and I do know where we stand and what our identity is with Jesus or in Jesus. And, and we need to know that the weapons of the word, in fact, the Bible refers to the Bible as a sword, a weapon in our arsenal so that when the enemy brings attacks in our life and we're up against things that we don't know what to do, it's a weapon in our arsenal. But simultaneously, as, long, as well as knowing who we are in Jesus, that we have the weapon of the word, we also need to deal with the junk in our life. We, we don't want to stay the same. And God knew that you and I would struggle with this. We would struggle with the concept of dealing with and removing the junk that so easily besets us or becomes a hindrance to accomplishing the things that God has for us. And that's why he sent and gave us the Holy Spirit. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. John 16, Jesus is speaking to his followers and he said this, Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, then the helper, and that word means the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Look at what verse 8 says. And when he comes, he will convict. And that's a difficult word in church. And I think that word right there, it, it might sum up how so many people view the church, the word convict. But look at what it says. He will come and will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. One quality of the Holy Spirit is to bring conviction concerning sin. This is part of who he is. In other words, he is the voice, the sound of reason that leans in and says, hey, this choice isn't worth it. You don't have to live life this way. Hey, there's something better and healthier for you. That's the way the Holy Spirit operates. And listen, you and I need to know that we all have the propensity to make foolish choices. Can I get an amen? We all have the propensity. In other words, it's, it's designed genetically into us that you and I have the propensity. We have the leaning towards making foolish choices. And if you don't think you have the propensity, if you feel you are the exception to this rule, then you have the propensity for pride. Can I get an amen? And that's scarier, my friends. Why? Because genetically, as we were born, we were born with a sin nature. I like to say it this way. One pastor friend of mine, he always says, we're all one decision away from stupid. How many of you have made some stupid choices in your life? Can't, okay, thank you for being honest. The rest of you are praying right now. We're all one decision away from stupid. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit to bring conviction. To come in and say, wait, wait, there's a better way to live, a healthier way to live. In this scripture that we just read, the word convict, when it translates in, in the Greek, which I don't know if you know this, but the New Testament was written in Greek, not in English. And so often in the translation, we can lose some of the text and theologians and historians have argued over the exact meaning of the word convict because there's three different options here. One is to expose, the other is to convince, and the third is to convict. 
To expose is the idea of exposing one to his or her sin, like someone would be exposed to sunlight. Or to convince would be to convince us that sin brings destruction. And the word convict is like what you probably are thinking, like a judge who renders a guilty verdict. And I think this is where most humans get their perception of who God is. They identify with God as the angry magistrate or judge wielding a sore-like gavel, slamming it down and pronouncing a guilty verdict. I think so many people see God through that lens. And unfortunately, I believe it's because they see God through the lens of people who follow God. And what's interesting about all 18 times in the New Testament where this verb is used, the the meaning is irrelevant. Why? Because what it translates to or what in every instance, the verb has to do with God showing someone his or her sin, which then results in repentance. And that's the nature and the heart of God. Revealed through the Holy Spirit, saying, hey, there's a healthier way to live. For me, that word health, healthier, has been kind of on, on the forefront of my mind this year. I, I got to this point where I, I stopped trying to be a better version of me, because that, that just always makes me feel like there's never, I'm never quite good enough. Anybody can relate to that? I just can't get, there's always better, but healthier, I can be a healthier me. And that's the nature of who God is and how he works through the Holy Spirit, that there's a healthier way to live. And let's just push pause right here for a moment. Let's just push pause because I believe too many a Christian have declared themselves as a self-appointed voice of the Holy Spirit. Like I am the one to be the Holy Spirit in your life. And anytime we take on a job only God is qualified to accomplish, it gets skewed. Every time. And then we not only go on a war path of quote unquote sin illumination, but we feel it's our mandate to change people. And my friends, God can't even change us. He removed that as an option when he gave us free will. And yet, for some reason, we feel like it's our responsibility, our mandate to not only be the voice of the Holy Spirit and illuminate your sin, but I will change you too. And you know what enters the scene right here? Shame. Shame. And we've we've gotten good at this. I hate to say it that Christians have been working out this muscle for a long time. And you know what shame says? Shame says, this is who I am, and it can't ever change. And that is not God's heart towards you. It never has been, and it never will be. Now, look at me for a moment. I I believe that we can and should illuminate the truth as established by the word of God. To illuminate the truth. This is what the word of God says, but I believe we're never to illuminate shame. Can I just tell you what your mandate is? If you're here and you're a Christ follower, if you're here and you don't know what you believe or don't care, you get a hall pass on what I'm about to say. But if you're here and you say, I'm a Christ follower, can I just sum up God's mandate on your life? And yes, I I feel very promising about this sound theological statement I'm about to tell you. Let me give you your mandate for life. Surrender daily and point people to Jesus. That's your mandate. Surrender daily. And if you're like me 
and you have really poor choices that are always knocking on your door. Anybody like that? I got to surrender like at least five or six times a day. Anybody else out there? Okay, thank you. I'm not alone. Surrender daily and then point people to Jesus. Hey, this is who Jesus is and this is what he did in my life. If I'm one decision away from stupid, then man, without Jesus in my life, I'm in trouble. Let me show you how the Holy Spirit convicts. First, he awakens us to sin. He shows and illuminates, hey, the choices you're making, the thoughts that you're thinking, the actions that you're taking, it's not the right way. There's a better and a healthier way to live. And he does this so often through his word. That's why Megan talked about the need for the word of God in our life. But he also does this through great relationships. Godly people in our life that come along and say, hey, you're better than this. Come on, I believe in you. Don't, don't make that choice. There's greater things ahead for you. And often God uses sermons as well, usually through very gifted, good-looking, attractive <laughs> young men like myself, but we'll move on. And you, you get that, right? Because you, you walked in, and the moment I started talking about sin, I don't even have to name a sin. I don't have to label sins. Most of us in this room can identify the thing that I struggle with most. And so often it keeps us from coming to church because we think through the filters of, man, I don't know if I should, I gotta get some things in order first. And he leans in the Holy Spirit in the way that only he can and he leans in and he says, hey, this is unhealthy. Change this. Rearrange that. He, he brings an awareness to our sin but then he goes even further. He calls us past awareness into action. And this is called repentance. And repentance is the linchpin for our walk of faith with Jesus. Here's a great definition for you. Repentance, it's in your notes. If you are following along, you can text the word notes and we'll give you everything you need. But repentance is a deeply rooted and authentic turn from self to God. That I'm turning from who I am and what I'm doing and what I want and shifting my attention, my focus, and my thoughts to who God is. And this radical shift, it takes place when I recognize that God is the most, imp most important fact in my existence. That I desperately need him. I desperately need him. Friends, alignment with Jesus isn't just time spent with him. Alignment with Jesus is found in repentance. It's found in repentance. Now, repentance is not the imagery of Jesus standing above our filthy soul, holding hope and ransom for our repentance. And I think so many of us see it as that. We see it as a uh, God, Jesus just looking down at us with this, these eyes of contention and shame and saying, man, and once you turn, then I'll give you hope. But that's not who Jesus is. In fact, I, I, I feel that there's a different picture for it. And I think that if I had a, a mandate specifically call on my life, in, in addition to just helping people find who Jesus is, I, I really believe that part of my personal mission is to help people reframe the picture of who Jesus is in their world. I think that as Christians, we've done a disservice to a world that's lost and hopeless and dying. And I, I just want to share with you a few thoughts of how I see Jesus in reference to repentance. 
In my mind, it's not him holding hope and ransom for our repentance, but it's the imagery and the picture of Jesus kneeling down into the midst of my shame and my filth and scooping me up in my sin and shame. And now covered with with who I am and the choices that I've made. Not standing at afar, but scooping me up, covered in my sin now. And then he takes my sin and shame and he places it in a backpack of reconciliation through the cross. Saying this isn't the summation of who you are. And then what he does is he invites me to a table of communion or relationship with him. And the kicker is, I sit at the table and I'm still filthy from the corrosive powers of my choices. And I'm overwhelmed by my own shame and so I try to excuse myself because of my mess and I say, I'm sorry, I I shouldn't be at the table like this. I'm gonna go get cleaned up and I say this halfway hoping and expecting Jesus to say, okay, Hurry back. Don't forget to clean behind your ears. Get your act together before you come back to the table. But he looks at me with this look rarely seen in humanity. It's a look void of judgment. Void of judgment. This strange cocktail of both grace and patient love which oddly elicits within me an overwhelming feeling of hope. And now I find myself on this journey with him. I'm at the table and he sits across and it's a journey that's more like a relationship with ebbs and flows like most relationships have. And sometimes I miss a moment because I'm caught up in doubt or worry or something which seems insurmountable until I join him again at the table. And other times I miss the moments because, well, frankly, I'm ashamed to say it, but I choose my own way. That's what sin really is, actually. Boiled down is just choosing my will over his. And he warned me about it. He even gave me better options, healthier options. But I felt like my plan was just a little bit better than his. I mean, does he really even know what it's like to be me? And it turns out he was right. And now I find myself at the table again, covered in the filth of my pride and my sin. And I don't want to make eye contact with him. And I, I'm sure he's judging me. And I, I'm sure he's disappointed with me. I'm, I'm disappointed with me. I finally muster the courage to look up only to find that he's not across the table, but he's right here beside me. with that look again as if to say I still love you I've chosen you and nothing can change that and he hands me a washcloth and he heads back to his seat and he continues on with the plans that he has for me plans to give me a hope and a future plans that he's had since before I was born plans that were handcrafted specifically engineered just 
for me and these plans go beyond my comprehension greater than anything I could ever dream of or imagine. In fact, he says it. He says no one's ever seen or heard of anything like it. No one's ever imagined the possibility of the plans that he has just for me. And I lean in and listen. And I realize I'm multitasking. I've been listening and hanging on to his every word while simultaneously cleaning up the mess that I've made with the washcloth that he's given me. And the bitterness and unforgiveness I'd been holding on to for years had no power against his words reminding me to forgive as I have been forgiven. It was only a short time later that I began cleaning the stains of pride, which my friends is a very challenging thing to do. Slowly recognizing and yielding to the fact that his way truly is better than my way. And it wasn't long before I realized that in the midst of this transparency and vulnerability, I had lost my hat, which revealed what lay beneath my thoughts. And in a frenzy, I scurried about trying to find it because I had to cover the one area which no one should ever see, let alone Jesus. The lustful thoughts and images that I have on replay over and over again. The times that I planned to sin and followed through with them. The anger and the resentment and even hate which is pinned up on the inside. I must find this hat. No one should ever see this. I, I don't want to see it. There he is again, sitting right beside me. But the look on his face was different. Not of shame or of contention, but it was a look of compassion. And he said, I never leave you nor forsake you ever. I was with you in the best of times and I was with you in the worst. I was with you when the light shined the brightest and when the night was the darkest. I chose you before you chose sin and I still choose you. I lean in and I say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And he said, I already have. Now stop living that way. He walks back to his seat and he begins to tell me again of the plans that he has for me. And it seems like this was the life that he wanted from me, listening and leaning into him while rearranging and changing the way that I live. Why? Because when the Holy Spirit convicts, it always leads to hope. It never leads to shame. It never leads to disappointment. It always leads to hope. David said it like this in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. And even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. 
for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. All the people who said it wasn't possible. All the people who said you'll never amount to anything. All the people who constantly throw shade and shame. He prepares a table and says, I want relationship with you. You anoint my head with oil. Every time the word anointing with oil is referred to, it's in reference to the Holy Spirit. To say, you're not alone. You're not alone. My cup overflows. Why? Because I'm positioned from a place of fullness and I'm not looking for fullness. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. And why would I ever leave? Why would I leave this table again? I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So where do I go from here? I think there's three things that we need to do. And probably on a consistent basis. The first thing we've got to do is repent. To turn from self to God. First John says that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins. Everyone take a breath. If you're breathing, you're still alive. You're a sinner. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're pretty jacked up. <laughs> Encouragement. It starts with words like this. I'm sorry, Lord. I messed up. Would you forgive me? But repentance goes beyond just words. We got to turn from our actions as well. And that's when we got to remove. And this is the life of a Christ follower. It's just constantly taking one step towards Jesus and removing the junk. Taking one step towards Jesus and removing the junk. I'm not striving for perfection. I'm just surrendering daily. I'm removing the proverbial idols of my life. You know what an idol is? Anything or anyone I use to meet needs only God can. What gets us into trouble is anything that we go after more than God. All addictive behavior and sin cycles are the result of attempting to meet the right needs in the wrong way. We gotta remove some junk. So what are the things that you, not your neighbor, not your friend, not the person who brought you today, but what are the things that you are holding on to that need to be removed from your life? Repentance is more than just words. It's actions that back up my faith. And then I think we've got to replace. Repent, remove, and replace. So we're getting rid of this junk on the inside that we thought would bring us fulfillment, but what do we do? What do we replace it with? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Number one is the Holy Spirit. We invite him into our life. Jesus was talking to his closest friends. And he said, hey, if you are evil, you're, you're sinners, and, and, and you know how to take care of your kids. You know how to give good gifts to your children. In Luke chapter 11, he says, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And you want the Holy Spirit in your life. The scripture we just read referred to him as the helper. Another translation refers to the Holy Spirit as the divine encourager. 
I love the beauty in that definition. The NLT calls him the advocate, someone fighting on my behalf. The NIV says the friend. The one that leans in and says, you, you don't have to make that choice. You don't have to live that way. And then we got to replace the junk with some godly people. Somewhere along the lines, we, we place a cultural value on going it alone. We've come to equate success with not needing anyone. We're willing to extend a helping hand, but very rarely do we want to ask for one. And so it's as if we've divided the world into two groups of people, those who offer help and those who need it. But I've got news for you, friend. You're both. You need godly people in your life. You need people to get around you to encourage you when you're being a knucklehead and your moments for making a stupid decision. You need godly people around you when you made a foolish decision to help pick you up and say, come on, I still believe in you. You need godly people that, that can walk with you through the fire, through the rain, through the floods and everything that's gonna come. So how do I find them? I'm so glad you asked. In groups. Connect groups. And I think, I'm not positive, I think we're about to start a semester of connect groups. Was there a tower the size of Texas out there? Yeah, we are. It's as if our church strategy was formed to help you live the healthiest life you can. Mind blown. I have a group that I meet with our pastoral team and some of the key guy leaders in our church and we met on Friday. The best coffee shop in Orange County, Elisimo. And you know what we did? We sat around in a circle and we just chatted for a minute and here's what happened. Each one of us shared the kryptonite in our life the sin that could knock us out. And then we shared whether or not we were walking in victory over it or being defeated by it. And then the plot thickens. We shared the warning signs that lead up to poor choices. That's a bunch of guys going, man, I've made some stupid choices and I don't want to live that way anymore. You don't have the people like that in your world. You need to get in a group this semester. Beep, beep, stop making excuses. I don't know where to start, alpha or freedom groups. If you don't know where to start, try those out. If you're brand new to faith or you don't believe in Jesus or anywhere in between, go to alpha groups every Sunday during first service right here on this property. I'm trying to deal with the junk in my life and I'm not sure how or what to do. Go to freedom groups. You won't leave there perfect, but you'll leave there free. This is the life I was created to live. You need the Holy Spirit. You need godly people and you need groups. Don't think you can go this life alone. But here's what I do think needs to happen right now. I think we need a holy moment to take place right here. I told you before we started, we were gonna give you an opportunity to take a step of faith. I'm gonna invite the band to come on out. And here's what I wanna challenge you with. This is a call to repentance. Different than anything we've ever done at the Movement Church. And in a moment, I'm gonna challenge those of you in this room that say, you know what, I need to repent of some things. In a moment, I'm gonna challenge you to right where you're seated to stand to your feet. 
We don't ever do this because it freaks us out. And what if people know? And you know what? This isn't about shame. It's about what God wants to do. So maybe you're here and you've been struggling with thoughts of lust. And you know it. You've been rehearsing and replaying those images over and over. And today it's time to make a change. Maybe it's pride. Or just that thought, that notion that my way's better and I got this thing figured out. Maybe it's unforgiveness. And you're holding on to that bitterness as though it's actually gonna hurt somebody else, but it's only hurting yourself. Maybe it's hate or anger. But I wanna challenge you to take a step of faith today. Here's what I'm gonna ask everyone in this room to bow your heads and close your eyes. Nobody moving, nobody leaving. Connect group leaders, stay right where you're at. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. And I just wanna challenge you This is a beep, beep. This is that moment where I believe God's gonna do something revolutionary in our life, but we're gonna have to take a step of faith and say, you know what, I'm not gonna continue living the way that I've been living. And in a moment, I'm gonna count to three. And if you're here and you say, I've gotta gotta repent of some things, it doesn't matter what it is, but I just gotta repent of some things. And in a moment, when I count to three, I wanna ask you to stand to your feet and I wanna go ahead and tell you right now, even though I've been standing for the last 30 minutes, I'm standing first because I've got some stuff I gotta repent of. And I believe God wants to do something powerful in your life. Heads bowed, eyes closed. On the count of three, if that's you and you say, it's me, I've gotta repent of some things. I want you to stand to your feet with no fear, no shame, no regrets in the name of Jesus. Ready, one, two, three, stand to your feet. Wow. Heads bowed, eyes closed. All over the room, people are standing. Now I'm gonna pray a prayer and I wanna challenge you right where you're seated. You can repeat this after me or you can just make your prayer your own. Just say, God, I've messed up. I've gotten up from the table. I've tried to do this thing on my own. And I've missed it. Would you forgive me? I don't want to live that life anymore. I know you have a better life for me. I know you have a better life for me. God, I thank you that you're up to something big. And so we take this moment in the end of this service, not only to repent and turn from our own ways towards your ways, but God, we're gonna take this moment and return some praise and worship to you. God, we know that repentance doesn't change things forever, but God, this is a brand new day and a brand new beginning. We're starting this year off right, seeing that our focus, our attention, and our purpose is aimed in the direction that you have for us and not what we want of our own. In Jesus' name I pray. Hey, before you're seated right in this moment, I wanna just talk to everyone in this room. The, the moment we just had is an amazing moment, but there's, there's something that takes place that's even greater than this. Bring the house lights up just a little bit. And that's when I start my relationship with Jesus. And there is a starting point for that. It's not church membership. It's definitely not getting everything right in your past. It's not eradicating your past, but it's beginning the journey with Jesus. And it literally is a step 
of surrender to who he is. And if you're here and you've never made that decision right here we're at, I wanna challenge you, don't let this Sunday pass you. If you've never made the decision to say yes to Jesus, this is your moment. And I wanna ask one more time for the next 30 seconds, if you'd do me a favor and just bow your heads, everyone in this room and close your eyes, nobody looking around. If you've never begun this journey with Jesus, today is your day. And right where you're seated, I want to challenge you to pray a prayer with me. It sounds very similar to the prayer we prayed a moment ago. But I want you to pray this prayer today with all the faith that you can muster. Just repeat after me, maybe in the quietness of your own heart or in a small whisper to say, Dear God, I know that you're real. I know that you love me and you've given me purpose. I'm not perfect, God. Would you forgive me? Now make this statement your own. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I'm starting this journey with you today. In Jesus' name. God, we thank you for what you're doing here. We thank you that your scripture says that he who began a good work is faithful to complete it. In Jesus' mighty and precious name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.